For as long as we have lived, for as long as we have known, love has carried us. You're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Genesis Covenant Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. You can find out more about us at www.genesiscov.org. Enjoy the teaching in it together. Thanks for the love. Okay, today's scripture is from Exodus 33, verses 12 through 23. Moses said to the Lord, See, you've said to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you'll send with me. Yet, you've said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way, we shall be distinct, I and your people, from every people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I do know you by name. And Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, see, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. The word of the Lord. Hey, friends. Well, right before the text that Jenny just read, this happens. Moses goes up on the mountain, receives the Ten Commandments from Yahweh, comes back down the mountain, only to find that Aaron has led the people to breaking the first two commandments. (laughs) So they're off to an amazing start. Moses takes the tablets and breaks them. So what happens next? The Lord says to Moses, go, leave this place, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, remember that, and go to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Or I would consume you on the way, (laughs) for you are a stiff-necked people. So here's the first all-play question. If you're new around here, all-play questions are designed to get actual answers because the voice of the chorus is way better than the voice of, of the solo. So what just happened? What just happened? Separation from God and Moses. Thanks, Rick. 
heartbreak. Yep. Say it again. God, yeah. God punished his naughty people. Yes. Thank you. What's your name? Say it again. Mandy. Thank you, Mandy. What else? Frustration. Thanks, Eric. Go to the promised land. I'll clear the path for you. I'll send an angel. I'll clear out all the enemies. You'll experience the land flowing with milk and honey, only I'm not going to go with you. So the question is, what's Moses going to do next? And what is God going to do next? And what happens when a covenant is broken in the Bible? When the whole story is about covenant. So verse 12, as Jenny read, Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, bring this people, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You told me to go. You said you wouldn't go with me, but you haven't told me who then will go with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name. Moses is helping God remember how God has referred to Moses. You have said to me, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. And then verse 13 says this. Now, if I have actually found favor in your sight, show me your ways so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Oh, and by the way, consider too that this nation is, is your people. Now what happened? That's an all-play question. Say it again. It's back on God. What is Moses doing? Arguing. Can you argue with God? Yes. As Fred so eloquently said, Moses has some moxie here. Essentially, when he says, show me your ways, he's saying, I thought I knew your ways. But if you're going to abandon us now, maybe I don't. So show me your ways again. You've said I've found favor in your sight, but I'm not so sure that that favor is worth much. So show me your ways so that I can find favor in your sight. I mean, this is moxie. This is Moses absolutely in desperation getting in God's face. Now, why? Why is Moses that desperate? What boils up in him that gives him this kind of moxie? That's an all-play question. He is tired. He's going to get a whole lot more tired by the time the thing's over. Nowhere else to go. Sounds like Greg back there. Is that Greg? He feels abandoned. He's confused. Fear and insecurity. He's experiencing some doubt. Are you holding a baby over there, Becky? <laughs> Is that Will? Oh. 
Okay, deconstruction. Yeah. Okay, so there's a deconstruction happening. What I thought would happen didn't happen, so now I have to lay down my idea. But he's not going to do that before asking some serious questions. This isn't the first time that he's done, done this with God. So the question is, and this is not an all-play question, but have you ever pressed God for a different answer than the one that God has already given? Because God gave an answer here. Verna, what'd you say? <laughs> They're going to Genesis East. No, they are. That wasn't even a joke. They, they actually are. Daily, yeah. Exactly. I didn't apply for this job, P.S. <laughs> I think he does feel betrayed, absolutely. And I think he's taking it very seriously. Pam, you were saying something or someone else? Katie? <laughs> you know, the, the most quoted verse that I, I say around here is uh, Numbers 11 when Moses says to God, uh, did I give birth to these people? <laughs> no. And then, if you love me at all, kill me now. That's what he says. <laughs> All right. So now is where it gets really fun because there's not enough time to do, there's three directions we could go, but there's only enough time to do one. So you have to pick which one, okay? So you only have one vote, one vote. And so here are the three directions we could go of which we will only go one. Number one, what does it mean to be a courageous mediator for the people that you're leading. So this is what Moses is doing by challenging God. What does it mean to be a mediator for the people that you're leading, even if you might not like them all that much? So that's number one. Number two, what does it mean to believe that God's compassion is greater than any anger we read about in God? What does it mean that God's compassion is greater than God's anger? That's number two. Number three, what does it mean to get everything you want except God. So you have to choose one of the three. So here they are again, before you vote. What does it mean to be courageous mediator for a people? What does it mean to believe that God's compassion is greater than God's anger? And what does it mean to get everything you want except God? Everybody got it? Who votes for number one, the mediator? Several. Okay. About 20. Okay. Uh, what about number two? What does it mean to believe that God's compassion is greater than God's anger? Okay, that wins so far over number one. <laughs> Katie's voting twice. <laughs> two hands. Uh, number three, what does it mean to get everything you want except God? Oof. Boy. Okay, now I think number two and three are tied. So now we're going to have to go for, like, you know, game three, the rubber match. So between those two, number two, number three, God's compassion versus God's anger, who, who, who votes for those? Okay, and then the other one would be, what does it mean to get everything you want except for God? Okay, that wins. Now, that's fun, isn't it? And we just wasted about one point's worth of time in doing that, so... 
maybe it's not the greatest way to go. Um, so for years, I've had this picture um, of, and I wake up in the morning. I don't think about it every single morning, but most mornings I do. I grew up in Southern California. I grew up by the ocean. So the ocean has huge, huge meaning for me in terms of my relationship with God. And the picture I have in my mind, it's imaginary, is me and Jesus sitting in a pickup truck, surfboards in the back, overlooking the ocean, or sitting on the top of a hill. And the, uh, the, the thought I have in that is, whatever else happens that day, it's going to be me and Jesus walking through it together. Might be horrible stuff, might be great stuff, might be both, but we're going to be in it together. That presence is what's really, really um, important. And I think what we kind of stumbled into before we even started the sermon, and me and Aaron both confessed it, that when things get tough, my, our default is, well, I got it. I'll just work a little harder. Most of us Americans really do believe that if we get everything we want, that's enough. And we don't really have the same attitude that Moses had, which was, hey, if you don't go with us, I don't even want to go. I don't even want to go. If you don't go with us to Genesis East, to Matamidi, White Bear, then we're going to shut the whole thing down because this is not going to be worth it. Some of you are dealing with parents who are sick. And you're in that weird place where you're caring for your kids and you're caring for your parents. And it feels overwhelming. And the try-hard button is broken. But that's actually a gift. And maybe you're at the point where you're saying, God, if you don't go with me in this, I, I honestly don't know what to do. I mean, I really don't. Some of you are going through relational challenges. That it's like, man, if God's presence doesn't go with me through the challenge that I'm facing, through, then I, I just, I don't know what I'll do. Because again, the tired button is broken. So Jesus says these words in John 15, verses 7 through 9. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you will bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. And the word for abide in the Greek is meno, and it literally means to be held or to be kept continually. Every once in a while, one of, one of my kids has something that's so precious to them that they just keep it in their pocket. <laughs> and it goes through the laundry, and we hear it rattling around in the dryer. What does it mean to believe that you are so precious to God that you can actually abide to be held, be kept continually. I think Moses knew that was true. And I think that's why he did feel so betrayed and so surprised by this pronouncement. 
And then the word, when, when Jesus says, and my words abide in you, how I translate that usually is like if you do every single one of the things that I said. Now think about the, 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 the teachings of Jesus. <laughs> if you do every single thing, every single one of the things that I said, then I will abide in you. Good news? No. The word for words there is rima, comes from the root, root word reo, which means to pour forth. So if you are held or kept continually in me, Jesus says, and my pouring forth is held, kept continually in you, then you can ask for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. If you're held by me and my pouring forth, my continual presence, energy, strength is held by you, then you can ask me for anything and I will say yes. And I think this is what Moses is experiencing in this moment. Because then the moxie of Moses grows huge, right? Where he says, show me your glory. And if he would have had a conversation with Terry, Terry would have said, bad idea, Moses. God's holy, you're not. But Moses is like, I don't care. Show me your glory. You show me your ways, now I can trust you. Show me your weight. That's what that means. Show me your, your gravitas. I want to see the deep stuff. And I think... Um, you know, I'm, I'm imagining the smile of God in that moment. Dude wants to see me. Okay, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put you in a little cleft of a rock. I'm going to, and you know, this is a this is obviously poetry because God does not have a hand or a mouth or a back. We understand that, right? God is spirit. No back, no hand, no mouth that's smiling. Jesus, of course, had all those things, but Jesus is not around in this moment, at least in that way. So this is the writer trying to say, listen, I had this experience so crazy that the only way I can say it is to say that I was covered up by God's hand, and I got to see a piece, and it blew me away. At the end of Moses' life, remember he does the one thing. What does he do that God's, God thinks is so awful that he doesn't go in the, that he says you can't go in the promised land? What does he do? He strikes the rock. Well, the first time God asks him to strike the rock, and he does, and water comes forth. And then the next time he says, what does he say? Speak to the rock. I think Moses was excited. And he did what we usually do, which is if God works in a way once, then we demand God to work the exact same way again. So we're going to strike that rock. Water's going to come out. And I think this is one of the beautiful things. God's like, I don't want to work the same way twice. So anyway, it sounds really mean, and I don't totally get it. You struck the rock, so you're not going to go into the promised land. But at the end of Moses' life, he's sitting up. And God brings him up to the mountain, and he's looking out over the promised land that, that will be. And 
he's reminded that he's not going to go in. But then we read that he dies and, and essentially no one knows where he's laid. Which means in some beautiful way, God was there with him when he died and God laid him to rest. And remember, God called Moses the most humble person on planet Earth. So what does it mean to get everything you want except God? That's an all-play question. No Sunday school answers. Unfulfilling, like hell. Formless and void. Now we're back to the beginning. Charlie. Running on empty. Thanks, Bob. Maddie's quoting Jesus right there. Nice job. It's Maddie, right? Mandy. Sorry, Mandy. Nice job, Mandy. I love that. What else? No substance. False contentment. Have anyone ever been there? Just raise your hand if you've been there. Okay. So we're not lying, because there's a way in which this could sound awful churchy, you know? Like, that boat really would be great. It really would be. And there's nothing wrong with the boat. But your soul is wired up for the kind of connection with the divine. That when you experience it, even, even the back, you're like, man, nothing else is going to satisfy me. And I do think that's something you have to experience. I don't think I can argue you into that. But I wonder, if you're sitting there going, that sounds good, but I've never experienced it. I wonder if I can invite you into a dangerous kind of prayer. And the prayer would be, okay, God, show me your ways. And let it have moxie to it. Let it have some challenge to it. Bring all the feelings that you have about that, about God, about loneliness, about abandonment. All the feelings that Moses had, bring those feelings, whatever's true, and just pray that prayer. God, show me your ways. And you don't need to use any more words than that. God, show me your ways.